0: Big is about to happen behold Esau came and with him 400 men now Jacob is going to be scared to death uh, because the last thing he the last interaction he had with Esau is that Esau wanted to kill him Okay, so now he gets word that 400 men are coming <laughs> with Esau and so he's he's in a panic He's scrambling and I want you to notice what he did It says, uh, and he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. That's Billah and Zilpah. Now, Now look at this. He put the handmaids and their children foremost. Okay. So if you're going to war, and you're going into battle, who are you going to put on the front line? The expendables, right? The ones you're least worried about casualties, uh, of war, so he puts the the, uh, the two handmaids. He puts Billah and Zilpah and their kids in the front, and then after that, Leah and her children. And look who's in the back: Rachel and Joseph. Heinermos. Uh, now, uh, in in verse seven, we see uh, Joseph. Uh, he he ha- he's, has manners. He has respect. It says that uh, they met Esau, Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves, and after came Joseph um, near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. So Joseph had manners as a a young man. So I just wanted to to kind of lay that foundation before we go uh, any further. But now let's go to uh, chapter 37. And some of this will be a review from what we looked at last week. Now it says, and Jacob, uh, Yaakov in Hebrew, he dwelt in the land wherein his father, so you have the mention of the father and Jacob, so immediately we should be thinking about the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God made to Abram, and uh, he appeared to Isaac and he confirmed that covenant to Isaac, he did it with Jacob, and, uh, and so uh, he's, he's in the land wherein his father was a stranger. You know, he, uh, all of that land was his, but he lived there as a stranger and as a pilgrim. And you and I, uh, we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? Amen. We're different, and we don't need to let the world squeeze us, uh, try to squeeze us into its mold, as it so often tries to do. He's a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, Canaan is the promised land. This is the place that God had promised uh, had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants. <clears throat> and, and the Canaanites were wicked people. Uh, they, were, they were not uh, godly at all. And uh, if you understand uh, more about the Canaanites than you understand when Joshua goes in, why God tells them to just kill everybody. You know, don't, don't spare anybody alive. And that sounds cruel, but the more you learn about the Canaanites, the more you understand that whole uh, scenario but he's there in the land of Canaan. Now, verse 2 says, Now, these are the generations, uh, some of your translations will say the family record, of Jacob. Now, uh, the the majority of this, the remainder of Genesis, is going to deal with the story of who? Joseph, right? Fourteen chapters. He's got a lot of story uh, dedicated to him, but this is actually the story of Jacob. This is Jacob's... uh, Toledah. Is there any way we can dim the backlight over here where I can see the back projector better? There we go. We all go to sleep with that. Can you stay awake? Okay. 23 minutes, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Start your timers. Um, the Toledah is the Hebrew word for generation or record. And the, and the book of Genesis is filled with these things. Uh, The generation of the heavens and the earth, the generations of Adam in chapter 5, of Noah in chapter 6, of Shem in chapter 11, of Terah, and Terah is the father of who? Abram, Abraham. Ishmael uh, in Genesis 25, then Isaac, the Toledah of Isaac in Genesis 25, the uh, the Toledah or uh, generations of Esau. In 36, and then Esau vanishes from the narrative because he's not part of the promised seed. And then we come to uh, Jacob. Okay. Now, in, in Genesis 37 2, it says, These are the generations of the Toledah of Jacob. And notice the very next word is what? Joseph. So Jacob's story, or his Toledah, is going to be told through this remarkable young man, Joseph. And, uh, Joseph uh, is remarkable on a number of fronts, not the least of which is that he is a type or a picture uh, of Christ. And uh, as we go, kind of be sensitive to those things that uh, look at the similarities and the parallels between the life of Christ and the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph uh, is a lot like Daniel in that he is portrayed as a person of impeccable character. Now, he was not sinless. There's only one person who's ever been sinless. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ. So, he's not sinless, but he he is a type of Christ in that he is a person of impeccable character. Daniel is much the same way. Uh, there's no real character flaws in the story of Daniel. And you'll see some similarities uh, with that. <coughs> so, it says, uh, Joseph being 17 years old, it says that he was um, pastoring the flock. Now, Let's, let's look at this um, and understand the purpose here. Why is it that God's going to work through Joseph? You ever notice God never says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? He doesn't say that, does He? So why is God going to tell the story through Joseph? Well, there's a number of reasons uh, for this, but not the least of which is it, it helps us understand how we get from Genesis to Exodus. It kind of bridges the gap Uh, and helps us understand how we get from one family of 70 people to a nation of 2 million people. All right, so um, turn, turn to Genesis 15, if you want to, or you can just read along on the screen. Who wants to be my narrator? Adam, Mark, who wants to draw the short straw? All right, Mark, thank you. Appreciate you. Now, God's going to appear to Abram in Genesis 15. And Abram's going to have a vision uh, of the Lord. God's going to put him uh, in a deep sleep. And he's going to confirm what we, know, we now know as the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, he's going to predict something to Abraham. Would you read that, Mark? Genesis 15, 13.
1: Genesis 15, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years.
0: So they're going to be slaves for four hundred years. Now, uh, he's not told where. We now know that it's Egypt, but God's going to. Uh, they're going to go dwell there for four hundred years. Um, are, is anybody? Mark, are you in Genesis fifteen by any chance? Praise God. Uh, I'm glad you are, (laughs) because I want you to read something else uh, in there. Uh, Would you read the next verse, verse 14, uh, 14 through 16? 14 through
1: 16, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full.
0: Okay, so 400 years, because God's going to give the Canaanites a chance to repent. God doesn't just give the land to the nation of Israel. Now, He knows they're not going to repent, but in His mercy and grace, He's going to give them 400 years. That's a long time, but, uh, but they didn't. And so, that's the reason that they go into Egypt for 400 years, okay? That's the book in number one. Booking number two, we get to the book of Exodus in the first chapter, and we find out that there's 70 souls that came into Egypt, but they ended up as a nation of about 2 million, roughly. So, Mark, would you read those uh, verses from Exodus up there?
1: Exodus 1, verse 7 and verse 8. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph.
0: Okay, so this is not about the production of the nation, but it's about the preservation of the nation. It's how do we get from 70 souls to 2 million souls as slaves in Egypt, and what's this business about a pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, okay? This fills in, this Toledah of Jacob fills in the gaps, okay? And... uh, and also, is setting us up for the biggest event in the Old Testament, which is what? The Exodus. It's God's biggest event. Okay. All right, let's go back to Genesis 37 now. It says, Joseph being 17 years old, that's a key, uh, that's a key uh, detail. He's a young man. He's 17 years old. He was pasturing the flock. He's feeding the flock. It's interesting to me how many people that God uses in a mighty way, but they start out in humble circumstances. Moses was a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd. Uh, even Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve. We see that at the Last Supper where he's washing the feet of the disciples. You'll never be great in the kingdom of God until you humble yourself. Never. You'll never be used of God unless you're able to serve and to humble yourself. If you're not ready to hold the mop, you can't hold the microphone, I heard one preacher say. And, uh, and, that's, that, and that's true. You have to be faithful in a few things. And as you are faithful in the little things, then God promotes you to greater things. He gives you more and more responsibility. So don't despise the day of small beginnings, my friend. Now it says he was feeding the flock with his brothers. And he singles out which ones he's with. And the lad was with the sons of Bilha, and with the sons of Zilpah. Now, why is that significant? Well, remember what we read in chapter 33? They were the lowest on the proverbial totem pole. So that's who Joseph is serving with, is these, these lower tier uh, sons, if you will. Let's take a look here at uh, Jacob's family, shall we? Can you all read that? It's kind of hard to see, isn't it? You've got Leah. She's his uh, first wife that he didn't want, but Laban tricked him. It wasn't Jacob's fault. He's got Reuben, uh, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun through Leah. She's got a maid or a servant called Zilpah. Um, And she has Gad and, uh, what is that, Asher? Then you've got Rachel, which is the wife you really wanted. And she has Joseph, and you notice a little coat of many colors there? (laughs) That's exactly what it looks like, right? Because that's what's on the internet. Must be true. Um, and then Benjamin, who's the baby. Then you've got uh, Bilhah, who's the uh, servant of Rachel, and her child. Her children are Dan and uh, Naphtali. Okay, so that's that's quite a setup, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and Dinah. Dinah, uh, they got a sister named Dinah and possibly other sisters, but, uh, but she's not mentioned. Uh, I think Dinah was born to Leah. These are just the boys. Whoever made this chart was a chauvinist, I guess. <laughs> but, but this is quite a dynamic, you know. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Now his mother died when she was giving birth to Benjamin. And she was going to name him Benani, which means son of my sorrow. How would you like to carry that around with you? And Jacob says, no, we're going to call him Benjamin, Benyamin, which is the son of my right hand. So Joseph here, he's got three stepmoms. He's got ten half-brothers that hate him. He's got a baby brother, and he's got a dad who he's, he's, is showing him favor, but he's not doing him any favors <laughs> by favoring him. <clears throat> I just came up with that on my own. That was pretty cool. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, kid- I'm kidding. Okay, so he's feeding the flocks with Bilah and Zilpah's sons, his father's wives, and it says Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, some of you have a translation that will say brought back to Joseph, back to Jacob, his evil report. And most of your uh, preachers at this point in commentaries, they're going to say, "Well, uh, Joseph was a tattletale." But as you begin to read the narrative, you're going to find out that these ten brothers are rotten to the core. And I think Joseph, I think Jacob knew that too. And I think he's got Joseph in a place of surveillance, if you will, kind of reporting on the flocks, and that Joseph is a, uh, uh, a supervisor of sorts. So uh, he brings back their evil report. And why, why does he do that? Because what they're doing is evil, you see. And we have a responsibility to speak out against evil. Do, do you realize that? That if we just don't, if we don't say anything about it, it's like we're going along with it. Now, what happens when you preach out against evil? Does everybody like it? No. You're going to be persecuted, right? And Joseph's going to experience persecution because he's telling the truth. He's not lying about his brothers. And he's not a talebearer. You know why I know he's not a tailbear? Look at who he's talking to. He's not talking to other people. He's talking to his father. Okay? This, is not, this is not a tattletale. This is somebody who has integrity and is looking out for his father's interest. He's honoring his father. All right, let's go to verse 3. It says, Now Israel... Notice the name change. Notice in verse 1, he's Jacob. But notice here, he's Israel in verse 3. Israel loved his son uh, more... Than all of his children. Now we can certainly um, see problems here, can't we? You know, as parents, we we don't need to parent that way. Uh, It's evident that Jacob favored Joseph, but as you learn more about Joseph, you understand why he favored him. It wasn't just because he was the son of uh, Rachel, who was his true love, but Joseph is a person of character, and he honors God and he loves he loves the Lord. And it says, because he was the son of his old age. Now, from everything I read, uh, that this in our English versions may not be uh, what we think it is. We tend to think of this as, oh, uh, Jacob's old, and now he's got a baby, and he's doting on him because, you know, Joseph's a baby. But look at your family tree up here. And if you look at your family tree... You find out that Jacob, excuse me, that Joseph is not the baby, but who's the baby? Benjamin. Benjamin. Okay. So if this is just an, uh, an issue of chronology, or which one's the baby, then Benjamin would have been the favored son. You see what I'm saying here? So what, the he- what Hebrew scholars say is that this, um, it says, son of his old age, it should be translated a son wise beyond his years. Uh, one commentary said that Joseph was like a, a man with gray hair on green shoulders, I like that. He's wise beyond his years. He's got gray hair on green shoulders. Um, if, you, if you remember, Daniel, when he was deported to Babylon, he was wiser than his peers, right? And there's somebody else that was around 12 years old that was teaching in the temple. Remember that? Jesus. Now, he's the son of God, obviously but he was wise beyond his years. Okay. And I think that's where we're, what we're seeing here with Joseph. Now, uh, Jacob made him a coat. Now, uh, most of our translations say a very colored tunic or a coat of many colors. <clears throat> and uh, the only other time that terminology is used is in Samuel, referring to Tamar, who is David's, Daughter. Uh, Mark, would you read that from Second Samuel 13?
1: Second Samuel 13, verse 18. And she had a garment of divers' colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins appareled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her.
0: Okay, so this was like a royal robe. And also, from everything I can read, and the etymology of the word... It meant it was a coat with sleeves that went down to the feet. So this was not a working garment. A working garment would have been a sleeveless coat, and it wouldn't have been something that would have encumbered uh, him from laboring. So Joseph is in a supervisory position, and no doubt this is also a statement of who Jacob intends to have the rights of the firstborn. Okay? So uh, just be mindful of that. <coughs> All right, verse 4. This is where we left off last week. It says, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, what does it say? They hated him. They hated him. You're going to see three times in this narrative that his brothers hated him. And uh, be mindful of that and be aware that if you don't deal with your hatred, it's going to breed other sins, Uh, not to mention be be self-destructive to you. And notice it says they could not speak peaceably unto him. That's interesting. You know what the word peaceably is in the Hebrew? It's shalom. And this was the most common greeting that any Jewish person would say. You know, like you know how we do in the south. How you doing? You know how y'all or how how's your mama and them or whatever. You know how are y'all doing? That's the most common greeting uh, was shalom. And it, and, it, and it shows you the dynamic that his brothers had uh, with him, that even the most basic thing, they couldn't even say shalom when they saw him. They just hated him. They, they just probably, every interaction with him is some kind of sarcasm or uh, spiteful thing. Verse 5. Well, let me, let me back up here. A lot of people and a lot of preachers and a lot of commentaries at this point they do something that we would never do now, and that is blame the victim. And they said, well, if Joseph wasn't a tattletale, they wouldn't have hated him. And if Joseph had just kept those dreams to himself, they would have, they would have, uh, he wouldn't have had nearly the problems that he had. Now, he may have been somewhat naive. I don't think he was, but he, he may have been. But I'm going to tell you, this is a tale that's as old as time, and it goes all the way back to the first family. And we, let's, remember the first family, they had, uh, there were two brothers, and one brother killed the other brother. First John 3, uh, Mark, would you read this? This is, a, this is telling the narrative of Genesis, but it gives us the reason behind the narrative.
1: First John 3, verse 11, for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, verses 12 and 13. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you.
0: Mm-hmm. So what you understand here, it's not just that Joseph is a tattletale, which I don't think he was, or that he should have kept his dreams to himself, which I don't think he should have, and I'll get to that in a minute. But... Um, Joseph is a reminder to these brothers of how rotten they are. If you want to make the world mad, just live for God. That's all you got to do. If you want to make the world hate you, just live for Jesus. You don't have to stand on the street corner and preach with a megaphone. Just live a righteous, godly life, and the world will say, I hate this guy. Why? Because it convicts them of their sin. It reminds them. People don't like light when they're in darkness. They don't like it. All right, back to Genesis thirty-seven. And Joseph dreamed a dream. Hallelujah! He dreamed a dream. Now this is a way that God speaks uh, sometimes. God will speak through dreams, and there are precedents uh, all throughout the Scripture. Abraham had a vision. Abimelech in chapter twenty, he's warned not to sleep with uh, Sarah. Jacob has a vision a dream in, in 28 of Genesis. He sees the ladder, Jacob's ladder. Pharaoh's baker has a dream in Genesis 40. Pharaoh's butler has a dream in Genesis 40. Pharaoh has two dreams. Interesting little thing here. Joseph has two dreams that get him in trouble. Pharaoh has two dreams that are going to get Joseph out of trouble. That's to be continued on that. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody can interpret it except Daniel. Daniel has a vision, Daniel 7. Joseph, the husband of uh, Mary, has a dream, has several dreams. Um, The Magi, or the wise men, if you prefer, Matthew 2, they have a dream. And then finally, Pilate's wife. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. This is just kind of a summary. Pilate's wife has a dream, and she tells Pilate, have nothing to do with this man, Jesus. Jesus. And Pilate's trying to wash his hands, kind of like Reuben is going to do, but it's not going to work out. Okay. Now, is every dream you have from God? No. I would say probably, probably most of our dreams are not from God. They're, they're out of our experience and, uh, and, that, and that kind of thing. Now, Satan can give people dreams too, I believe. Uh, he can give people uh, visions and dreams. Okay. Um, what if somebody comes to you and says, well, I had a dream, and I saw a monster, and he had two eyes like pepperonis, and he had two ears like bell peppers, and he had a mouth like an anchovy. What does that mean? It means you ate too much pizza before you went to bed. You shouldn't have had Domino's. You should have had a bowl of soup or something. Most of our dreams are just, there's no secret meaning to them. When I, one of my first jobs, I was a dishwasher. Uh, bus boy in a dishwasher. And it was the most monotonous job ever. We didn't have a commercial, uh, uh, it was at Seafood Haven. Anybody ever eat there when you were a kid? You were younger? Um, I, was, I started out busing tables and then I got promoted to dishwasher. Oh, hallelujah. I'm climbing the ladder of success. And we didn't have an industrial uh, dishwasher, we had three sinks, three petition sinks. First of all, you had to get all the food out of the plates. I'm going to tell you what, y'all are nasty. People are nasty. (laughs) Whenever you put all that stuff on your plate, somebody's got to clean it. But anyway, so I emptied all the food into a slop bucket. And then I carried the dishes to the main sink where we would wash, you know, wash them by hand. Then we had another station where we would rinse the dishes. Then we had another station where we would scald them, sterilize them. And I think I burnt my hands more than I sterilized the dishes with that that water. But it was a monotonous job, and I do, do it all night. And you know what? A lot of times I'd come home, I'd go to sleep, and I'd dream. You know what I would dream about? That I was washing dishes all night long, because it was just a repetitive thing. And I would wake up just exhausted. I'm like, oh, Lord, I've got to go back to work today, and I've been washing dishes all night. But it was just a product of, you know, you talk about certain things, and you'll dream about it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You watch something on television, you'll have a dream about it. So most dreams don't mean anything, but sometimes they do. And how do we know when it's God? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a principle. Well, let me, don't let me get ahead of myself. Let me back up. Pretend like you didn't just see that slide, okay? All right, we're still in Genesis 37. He dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they were excited about it, weren't they? So wow, this... Not only does he have a coat of many colors, but he's a dreamer too. You know what I was thinking about H.T. earlier in the week? I was thinking, if only Jacob had heard the Oak Ridge boys singing about trying to love two women, he would have never gotten this mess, would he? He's trying to to please four women. But anyway, so um, they could not speak peaceably unto him. They dreamed a dream, told his brethren, and they hated him, yet... The more, Some of y'all didn't get the Oak Ridge Boys reference, and y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's one of the those groups. Or some of you got it, and you just didn't think it was funny, and that's okay too. They hated him yet the more. Notice twice we're told they hated him. Notice this thing's growing. It's like a cancer. <clears throat> and he said unto them, Here, the Hebrew word is Shema, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, or stood erect, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around it, and made obeisance to my sheaf, or bowed down to my sheaf. Well, it doesn't take an astrologer to interpret the dream, does it? You know, what, what, what's this dream trying to convey? Well, again, we're not left to our sanctified imaginations here. Aren't you glad? His brothers are going to interpret the dream for us. The Bible is its own interpreter. Notice what it said in verse 8. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, he, he is going to. And shall you indeed have dominion over us? Yes. And notice for the third time, we are told, they hated him yet the more. But now we've got another component. They're not just hating him for the, the coat. And the favor, but they're, they're hating him for the dreams and for what? The words. And this is going to bring me to my what I was trying to get to earlier, that I, I don't think Joseph was in error by sharing his dream. Now, we may think he was naive, um, but, I, but I'm going to give you a, a take that I don't, many commentaries won't take. So, he dreams yet another dream. Okay, so, there's a principle in Scripture Why does Joseph have two dreams? And I believe it's because he wanted to confirm to Joseph that this dream is from God. That it's not just some outlandish experience that he's had, but that this is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a principle throughout Scripture. Uh, We've got two listed here. I'm going to get Mark to read them in just a minute. But this is throughout the Bible. There's a principle that uh, uh, against an elder, Paul tells Timothy. Don't receive an accusation unless it's been confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, we live in a culture where everybody wants to be the first one to break a story, okay? And a lot of times on the news, they don't even bother to check the facts, okay? And a lot of times, once they discover the facts, they don't retract their false narrative. And you need to be careful about that as we live in this world that, uh, you know, it's easy when somebody can tell their side of the story, My dad always told me, he said, son, there's three sides to every story. There's yours and mine, and then there's the truth that only God knows. And I had to learn this the hard way in counseling. Because everybody wants to tell their story, and in their story, they're always the hero, and somebody else is always the villain, right? And you may not believe this, but you're the villain in somebody's story. I mean, you are. I I talked about dysfunctional families last week. Just one more little funny thing. Everybody has got a dysfunctional family at some, on some level. Everybody has got a Cousin Eddie. And some of you are like, I'm not going to laugh because I don't want anybody to know I know who Cousin Eddie is. <laughs> and if you don't know who Cousin Eddie is in your family, that means what? That means you're Cousin Eddie. <laughs> but there's a principle in Scripture of two witnesses. Got to love it. Hey, Randy Quaid, great, great role there. All right. Mark, would you read Deuteronomy 19, 15?
1: Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established.
0: All right, thank you. Okay, so uh, you might expect that we would be told this more than one time, right? This is the principle of two or three witnesses. So Paul tells us that in Second Corinthians, I think it's the 13th chapter. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that in First Timothy, I think chapter five. but here I've just simply got the words of Jesus from Matthew 18:16. Matthew 18, verse
1: 16. "But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established."
0: Okay, that's dealing with people that are offended in the church and uh, church discipline and that kind of thing. There's another principle here. And that is that uh, God's Word is established and that it will shortly come to pass. Now, Joseph's dreams are going to come to pass in the future, in his lifetime. And uh, Pharaoh has his dreams. And this is Joseph's record. Of, of what he says to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has two dreams, and Joseph explains to him why he had two and what it means. Mark, would you read that, Genesis forty one thirty two.
1: Genesis 41, verse 32. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Okay, so it's
0: going to come to pass in his lifetime, but it's also uh, to let him know that this dream is from God. And God doesn't want us to be confused. God is not the author of confusion. And so if He's trying to tell you something, whether it be by a dream or by uh, the Holy Spirit, He's going to confirm that to you to where you're not just going through life as, uh, you know, in confusion. All right, let's go back to uh, 37. Verse Verse uh, 9 says he dreamed another dream and told it his brothers he said behold i have dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me so this time we're not talking about sheaves this time we've got heavenly bodies here sun moon and the stars and uh, we're not left to our sanctified imagination to figure out what the dream means. Notice, and, I, and it's interesting, well, I'll, I'll save this. But notice in verse 10, this time he tells it to his father. It's not just his brothers. And to his brethren. And this time the Bible says his father did what? He rebuked him. Now Joseph's not used to this, he's used to the favor of his father. He's used to Jacob being pleased with him. And uh, from what I understand, the Hebrew word rebuke here means he he was angry and shouted at him. Now, it's one thing for the brothers to bow down to Joseph. It's entirely another for the father to bow down to Joseph. See, we live in a culture where the kids tell the parents what to do. But they didn't grow up in a world like that. In that world, daddy's word was law. And so Jacob took umbrage at the dream Uh, initially. He was upset about it, and he rebuked Joseph. And here's why I I think, guys. I don't think Joseph was naive in telling his dreams to his father and to his brothers, because I think Joseph knew, I mean, come on, the guy's been living in this dysfunctional house where they hate him. He knew that they weren't going to like that dream. It's not as if Joseph had been reading How to Win Friends and Influence People and thought, gosh, if I tell this dream to my brothers, they're going to like me for a change. No. He knew what their reaction would be. And I have a, a sneaking suspicion he really didn't want to tell his dad the dream either, you know? Because again, he, he grows up in the house where his father's is, is. But here's what I think about Joseph I think Joseph felt an obligation having heard the word of God and knowing that God had confirmed this word to him, that he had an obligation to share that word with his family. And most people are not going to take that take on it. But that's my take on it. I don't think Joseph was in sin here. And I'm not blaming him for telling his dreams because I don't think he necessarily wanted to because he knew what the outcome would be. I mean, he's wise beyond his years, right? He's got gray hair on green shoulders. He's not some idiot who thinks that, that, that these dreams are going to be well received. So Joseph interprets. J- Jacob interprets the dream. I'm sorry I keep messing these names up. Y'all know what I'm talking about though, right? Okay, thank you. Love covers a multitude of sins, so you just love me through it. And, and I love you for the crazy stuff you do too. <laughs> okay. He says, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and, my, and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee and the earth? Well, guess what, Jacob? Yes. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, Rachel is dead, so the mother here is either Leah or Zilpah, or maybe it's just idiomatic for the whole family. I don't know. I'm not going to start a new church over the, over, uh, you know, the meaning of that, but, but nevertheless. Now, this is important that we understand what this dream means. The dream, uh, the dream is interpreted as Jacob, his wife, and the 11, the sons of Jacob, amen? Because you're going to get to Revelation chapter 12. Y'all remember that when we were in there? Turn with me to Revelation 12. And we're almost done here. I got volumes of commentaries in my office, even more on my computer, that try to explain this passage, and they say everything from the the woman in this vision is Mary, or she's the church. If the woman in Revelation twelve is the church, we got a big problem. You know why? Because she's pregnant, and the church is a virgin. Okay, so we got a big problem. But we don't have to jump to those conclusions, do we? Revelation twelve. Um, Mark, would you read one through five?
1: Revelation 12, verses 1 through 5. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third heart of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born and she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was called up unto god and to his throne
0: we've got three major players in this drama number one is the son or the man child We believe that's the Messiah. Psalm 2 says that God has a son. Verse 9, it says that he is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Acts 1, um, 9 says that Jesus ascended back to heaven in a cloud. So he's ruling the uh, the son. The man-child is ruling with a rod of iron, and his throne is caught up into God. That's the son. What about the dragon? That one's easy, isn't it? Because Revelation twelve nine and twenty two tells us that it's the serpent, it's Satan, the the old dragon, the devil himself. Well, what about the woman with the twelve stars and the, the moon and the sun? Well, if you've never read Genesis, I guess you could say, well, maybe that's the church. But if you've read Genesis, which by the way the Bible assumes that you've read Genesis, then you know. That Jacob has already interpreted who the woman is thousands of years ago. The woman is none other than Israel and his 12 sons, the nation of Israel. So, uh, the Bible is its own interpreter. (coughs) By the way, I, I, I had a recurring dream years ago. When I first... Well, let me tell you the dream real quick. I used to have a dream that I was in college... And uh, it was the last day of the semester and I was ready to graduate and I found out that I had not gone to class. There was one class I had not gone to all year. So I didn't have enough credits to graduate. And I would have this dream over and over and over again and it just tore me all to pieces. And I got to seeking the Lord about it. Early on in my ministry when I first started preaching... I focused almost exclusively on New Testament preaching. I'm like, here, we're New Testament believers. I'm going to preach Jesus and the cross. And I hardly ever even read the Old Testament, let alone preached from it. And I began to seek the Lord, and He, sh- he, he showed me in prayer, not in a dream but a vision, or a vision, but He showed me in prayer that I had been neglecting the Old Testament in my studies and in my preaching. And I repented of that, and I started to diligently study the Old Testament. And you know what? I never had that dream again. So there's an, there's an instance where God doubled the dream and confirmed it and gave me clarity as to what the dream was, to, was, was meaning. As I was not ready to graduate because I had been neglecting an important class. You can't understand the book of Revelation if you've never read the Old Testament, right? We spent a whole year in this, so I shouldn't have to twist your arm to get you to believe that. Amen? So, that's just one instance of where God used a dream to show me where I needed a correction. Okay. We're almost done. Let's go back to uh, Genesis 37. Now you get to verse 11, and this time it doesn't say that his brothers hated him, but what does it say? They envied him. They were jealous of him. Adam, do you like football? you like football? Do you like the San Francisco 49ers? No? Okay, good, this will work great. That's been my team ever since Joe Montana. That's been my team. I don't watch NFL as much as I used to, but that's been my team. Now, imagine... Now, I don't know how strongly you dislike the 49ers. You, you probably don't hate them, but pretend like you hate them, just for this illustration. Okay. Pretend like he hates... If I'd have said Duke and Carolina, we could have really got some traction here, couldn't we? Let's do that, because I just want to relate with my audience, okay? Let's make it a Duke and Carolina thing. All right. Now... Y'all know where my loyalties lie, and I don't don't say anything. Just (laughs) and uh, but most Carolina fans cannot stand Duke fans on the sports level. Now we may love each other in real life, gotcha, but when that game is on, we can't be friends. (laughs) Some of y'all live in a house that's divided, and I feel sorry for you. That was that was the only reason I married Lori. Is I said if you if you don't like Duke, we can't be friends, but. So we don't argue about that. We argue about other stuff, you know. But, <clears throat> but uh, most Tar Hill fans hate Duke fans when the game is on. Now, but we can still be friends, right? You know. But imagine, Adam, if I said, you know, I had a dream. I had a dream, and I dreamed that I was playing point guard for Duke, and we won the national championship. Now, Adam may hate my guts, but is he going to be jealous of me? No. Why? Because he knows it's just a dream. Because he knows I'm 50 years old, and I'm not going to be playing point guard for Duke. Or for anybody else, for that matter. So he's not going to be envious of me if I tell him my dream. He's just gonna be like, okay, whatever, you had too much pizza last night. Get your act together. But when Joseph told his dreams to his brothers, they envied him. So what does that tell me? That tells me they believed. They knew God's hand was on this young boy. They knew they knew that everything that Joseph had dreamed was gonna to come to pass. And that's going to set us up for what's going to happen in the subsequent studies, God willing. These boys think they're going to kill that dream. They're out there to abort that dream. And they're not going to be able to. And I want you to understand that this is is the same thing that happened with Jesus. Um, Pilate is getting ready to... uh, His his hand has been forced, basically. And he can either release a prisoner or he can... uh, he can release one uh, and execute the other. And notice what it says in Mark 15, 9 and 10. Mark 15, verse 9
1: and 10. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. See, the
0: chief priests were envious of Christ because they, they knew who he was. They knew it but they refused to believe in him. And, uh, and the same thing is happening here with Joseph. Again, I want you to be sensitive to the parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Christ. Okay? Joseph is hated by his brothers. He's delivered because of envy. Christ comes into his own. His own receive him not. They deliver him. The chief priests deliver him for envy. But notice the last part of Genesis 37, 11, It says his brothers envied him, but his father... Observe the saying. Initially, Jacob was upset about the dream. But when he had had some time to think about it, Jacob started to refresh things and rehearse things in his own mind. Jacob thinks back and he thinks, well, you know, my great, excuse me, my grandfather, he had two sons. Ishmael was firstborn, but God chose Isaac. And in his own household... Esau was the older brother, but God had chosen that younger brother, right? Jacob himself had seen a vision of God. He had seen the ladder and the angels ascending and descending. And so Jacob thinks, you know what? Maybe I was too hasty to make a judgment on this. Because God evidently is doing something in this boy's life. And I think there's a, there's a parallel here. Uh, I made mention of this earlier when jesus was teaching i joke around and say he was teaching the senior adult sunday school class he was at the temple teaching the doctors of the law and uh, but but notice what mary says luke two eighteen and 19 mark would you read that
1: luke 2 verses 18 and 19 and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds but mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart
0: all right, thank you. And then there's one other scripture there, and this is when she finds he's twelve years old, he's teaching in the temple. Luke two fifty one.
1: Luke two verse fifty-one. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart.
0: Okay. Just like Jacob. She's she's trying to process all the information. It must have been overwhelming. But she's pondering. And, and the shepherds are telling her things and And the angels are are telling her things and uh, Simeon and uh, um, Elizabeth. And uh, now she sees Jesus as 12 years old. And man, there's something just remarkable remarkable about him uh, at this age. And she's pondering all these things in her heart. So I'll close with this. What is your response going to be to the gospel? Uh, Are we going to be like Joseph? You know, Joseph... It's never too late to start being uh, a, a true servant of God. And Joseph, he was 17 years old. I want to encourage every young person in here, give your heart to Jesus Christ while you're a young person. Uh, uh, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And, and don't put any limits on God. God can use a 17-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, uh, a 12-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, I mean, we've seen the Lord's hands on these children here at Deep Springs. You know, we, 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 we can see that with Trinity and Remington and, and Case and Jackson and, and Leland and all these kids. I don't want to leave anybody's kids out. But um, but we can see God's hands on these children. And and Brantley, the things that Lori shares with me that he, he shares in Sunday school. Little insights. How old are you, Brantley? You're five? And, he, and, and Lori will come back and she'll say, you know, he's... told me this thing about God, you know, and it was was biblically accurate, you know. God can work in these young people's lives, and and, and AJ and Gage, and and all of you kiddos, you know, God can work in your life. If you'll just yield to Him, He's got a plan, and I would encourage you like Joseph to get a vision, get a vision for God's, and, and that goes for all of us, not just the kids and the teenagers. All of us need to get a vision of what God would have us to do. And I believe that if we'll earnestly seek Him, the Bible says if we lack wisdom, if we'll ask Him, that He will give it to us and He will not chastise us for it. We need a fresh vision. And that vision, my friend, will sustain you when times get hard. Joseph is going to need these two visions. He's going to need them to get him through the next 13 some odd years. And they're going to be a great source of encouragement for him. And I also believe he needed to tell his brothers and his father so that when they finally get there, they can look back and say, hey, God told us all along. Y'all with me? Okay. Or are we going to be like Jacob? Are we going to be just, you know, kind of wishy-washy at times? Are we going to be like the brothers? Are we going to be like those hateful brothers and say, well, I see God blessing them. Why didn't he bless me like that? Well, i to tell you what, God's no respecter of persons. He's not. And I believe that if you want more of God, you can have it. The Bible says, "Draw near unto God, He'll draw near unto you." I want to encourage every believer in here. Don't be uh, shocked when the world hates you. Proverbs 29:27 says, "An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and guess what? He that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked." Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But that's exactly what the world does. To the world, we're the bad guys. You know, most of the world, if they do believe anything or they know anything about Christianity, they think, I can't wait till these Christians are out of here. And guess what? One of these days, they're going to get their wish. And they're going to wish that they hadn't wished that at all. Would you stand? All of this points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into his own. His own received him not. But to as many as received him, to those he gave the power, the right, the authority to become the children of God. You may be here today, you don't have any relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're jealous. Maybe you say, I wish, I wish God would forgive me. Guess what? God will forgive you of your sins. Jesus has already paid the price for your sins. It would be a shame for you to just walk away from it. He's paid the price. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he says, if you will believe in me and receive me and repent of your sins, you will have eternal life. Maybe you're here today. You're wondering, God, do you have a plan for my life? And I would just advise you to come to this altar and say, God, it's been a long time since I had a dream. It's been a long time since I had a vision of anything you wanted to do in my life. God, would you just birth something new in me today? Just show me today, just, just give me some fresh anointing, some fresh fire, some fresh zeal to do something for the, for the kingdom of God. And I believe if you'll earnestly come and seek Him, the Bible says if we ask, we'll receive. If we'll seek, we'll find. If we'll knock, the door will be open unto us. Would you come as they play?